0: Hey folks, welcome to the Aspire Natural Health podcast. My name is Dr. Tim Gersmar. At Aspire Natural Health, we are experts at treating digestive issues, autoimmune disease, and other hard-to-treat cases. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you interesting and informative discussions and topics, whether that's with us or other experts and interesting people. Listen, we want to reach as many people as possible and help as many lives as we can. This podcast is and always will remain free of charge. So we'll bring you the expertise, but we do need your help. There are two simple things that you can do to help us in our efforts to reach as many people as possible. Whether this is your first podcast or one of many, if you've found these podcasts helpful, please do two things. The first is share it with any friends or people, you know, who might find it valuable. Again, it's free. Please drop them a line and let them know about the podcast. The second thing, which is really important is to please head on over to iTunes and give us preferably a five-star review. Whatever you think we're worth, we're striving here to produce a five-star podcast, and it would really help if you would take a minute to drop us a five-star review. That way iTunes ranks us highly, other people can see and hear about us, and we can succeed in spreading the message of how to be informed about your health and how to get some help. So please share this podcast with a friend, head on over to iTunes and leave us a five star review all right without further ado let's get on with the show hey folks it's Dr. Gersmar with another episode of the Aspire Natural Health podcast i am excited today to talk to Dr. Mark Gordon who has been doing some absolutely phenomenal work with TBI or traumatic brain injury bringing to light a whole side that has largely been completely ignored and that is the effect of The brain and the hormones. So, we're going to dive deep into this. And as some of you know, this is. A personal thing for me as well, the the whole path that led to me becoming a doctor was when my dad had a severe stroke. So this was about 15, 16 years ago. My dad has since passed on. Uh, But that whole experience of seeing him transformed overnight from a healthy person into an invalid and the whole journey in between. Now one of the most interesting things from our perspective, my mom and I at the time, was the absolute personality change that we saw occur in my dad. So before the stroke, he was not a type A guy, but he was a very, he enjoyed his work, he liked working, he had a very strong work ethic. And so after the stroke, you know, we had both the naivete that, you know, well, he's just going to bounce right back from this, but we definitely had the impression that he would take that strong work ethic and he would transfer it to doing the therapies, the speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and that in, you know, rapid order he he would really uh, um um, he would really devote himself and in and, and rapid order, you know, would see a lot of gains. And to our utter shock and amazement, uh, his personality changed dramatically. All of that drive, all of that you know effort and ambition evaporated completely, and he became you know a very sweet man, which we're, we're grateful because some people, in you know secondary to strokes and other brain injuries, can become incredibly ill-tempered and mean. And we're going to talk uh, how hormones can play into that, but he became very. Uh, uh, he was very sweet. And and, and well tempered, but utter and complete lack of of really desire to do much of anything. He was very happy just to sit around in front of the TV. Um, and the only time we could get him to do therapy or do many things um, was by you know literally forcing him to do it. And I think you know after hearing of the work that Dr. Gordon is doing, of course, it is far too late to know. But I think wow, n- absolutely none of these hormones were. Ever tested for my father and you know could they have made a significant difference for him? Could they have given him some of the drive and motivation to engage in the therapies? Could they have helped his brain heal and do better? Could his quality of life been very different? Of course we'll never know, but I have the impression uh, that it very well might. Today, however, we're dealing with an epidemic of traumatic brain injury uh, from the wars that we've had now for quite a long time. We're seeing soldiers coming back. You know, we're able to do miraculous things to their bodies to protect them, to heal them. But the brain has mostly been ignored, and we're seeing in the wake of all of these explosives and other issues uh, that the, the brain injuries that occur are a huge deal. And lest you out there think, "Well, that's not me. I'm not in a war zone. I don't know anybody who's gone to war." Does this topic really apply to me? We're seeing more and more, you know, concussions issues with kids playing sports, adults playing sports, car accidents, and any of a whole variety of ways that people can injure their heads. And now many people think, well, if my neck hurts, maybe I need to go to a chiropractor and there's a time and place for that. But what Dr. Gordon has has brought out by his study of the literature and his work with patients is there's a lot more going on. So with that, let me introduce you and let you get into the fray and talk, Dr. Gordon. So um, where should we begin? Where do you want to start?
1: Well, the best place to start is saying thank you very much, Tim, for having me here. Please call me by Mark. Mark, okay, um, absolutely. I, I love the opportunity to share the information we've accumulated over the past 25 years in hormone replacement. And then in the past 13 years, specifically looking at neuroendocrinology, which mm-hmm. is the hormones of the brain. Yes. So to to address Uh, something that is personal to you as well as to me because I lost my father at a very young age Mm -hmm. and that's how I ended up in medicine Mm -hmm. but the issue relative to stroke is when a person has a stroke or any kind of head trauma Mm -hmm. and we consider stroke uh, as being a form of head trauma yes it releases a lot of chemistry into the brain and that chemistry in in and around the brain it creates inflammation And what we found is that inflammation is like a fire that burns through you know the brain and burns a house on fire and destroys it and you might not see any alteration initially in the in the structure Mm -hmm. but the chemistry that runs the brain you know Mm -hmm. our entire body is a chemistry set Mm -hmm. if you alter the chemistry you'll alter the functionality the chemicals that are responsible for maintaining your sense of well-being in the frontal lobe that we see diminished in Alzheimer's disease, which is pregnenolone mm-hmm. and nanolone and allopregnenolone. These are hormones that become deficient and lead to what we see as the symptomatology associated with dementia of all times, not just Alzheimer's, but mm-hmm. nonspecific uh, uh, dementia. So it's this inflammation that not only changes the way that chemical pathways and connection between different parts of the brain communicate Mm -hmm. also shuts down cellular production of brain hormones called neurosteroids and this is the focus of my practice for the past 13 years are these compounds called neurosteroids which are hormones made in the brain for the brain yeah they regulate everything I think that's a big piece that that many, many people, including
0: many doctors, don't understand. They So the term, unfortunately, the term steroid has become really tainted. And, and most people, when they hear, hear the term steroid, of course, they think about like the bodybuilding drugs, the abuse Correct. of the drugs um, to build muscle. But just so people know, the, the term steroid actually isn't. So when people hear steroid, they're, of course, or maybe they don't know, they're thinking of versions of testosterone the the muscle building piece here but steroids you know many people don't realize like estrogen for example is a steroid and pregnenolone the hormone you were talking so much about and we'll talk much more about is that many people have never heard about is a steroid and steroid more refers to the chemical structure that the actual makeup of the hormone than um, than necessarily, you know, the, the muscle building, uh, bodybuilding kind of drugs. Um, the, the point I was going to say is, I, I think many people don't recognize, and I didn't until I le- had learned more, that the brain itself is making these hormones, not just the body or, or the testicles making testosterone, the ovaries making estrogen, but the brain itself makes these hormones.
1: Correct. And it's, you know hormones or steroids in general have been mm-hmm. demonized by what happened with uh barry bonds and mm-hmm. you know Balkar and all those uh cases that we've seen over the past 15 20 years that led to the social perception right. of hormones steroids being bad and i agree with you right steroid the term steroid i hear steroids and i think of bubba on the okay. corner selling you know anabolic steroids to some young kid right but in the in medical practice, as in yours and as mine, um, the application of hormones mm-hmm. like insulin is a hormone. hmm hmm Testosterone's a hormone. Estradiol's a hormone. Thyroid's a hormone. Right. It's one of the many. Vitamin D is a hormone. Right. And therefore, you know, we need to assess the fact or appreciate the fact that when we talk about hormones, we're talking about phys- uh, healthcare provider determined and dispensed uh, medication for improvement in bodily function, brain and body function. And what we've learned about testosterone in terms of function of the brain, we mostly think of testosterone as a gender hormone or a reproductive hormone or Mm -hmm. a sex hormone. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out that testosterone has an incredible anti-inflammatory effect on the body. It also, in studies that have come out of USC where I'm affiliated with, mm-hmm. that uh, Dr. C.J. Christian J. Pike has been writing for many years about androgens, the testosterone, the DHT, the DHEA, and its benefit on people with Alzheimer's disease and how can it can actually slow down the process. Uh, inflammation, we find that in the immune system. Mm-hmm. Testosterone stimulates the cells we call CD4 and CD8 that help defend us against virus, bacteria, and cancer and also drops the inflammatory chemistry of the body while stimulating the anti-inflammatory segment of our body chemistry, which is all part of the immune system. So we're learning about uh, additional benefits of hormone that research is bringing to the forefront, but unfortunately, the majority of, of those physicians who have come out of school you know, 20, 30 years ago are mm-hmm. not keeping up with the modern day literature. So the new group of docs, hopefully are. Yes.
0: So it's interesting you say that. Uh, Obviously, this is not my specialty, but I remember uh, in school, I did a rotation through the HIV uh, unit where we were working with a a lot of men primarily with HIV and, and trying to help them. And I know, interestingly, some docs in that field had really taken to using testosterone and growth hormone in their HIV patients. And I know kind of the rationale in the past had been well anything these guys were wasting away a lot losing weight getting really weak and anything that could rebuild them put on some weight put on some muscle uh was but your when you were saying it was just like interesting if it's acting uh to improve the immune system and as an anti-inflammatory then some of the effect these gentlemen were seeing wasn't just from helping to keep them from putting muscle mass on and not wasting away, but actually changing the inflammatory status of their body.
1: Absolutely. Well, I don't share this with most people. Mm -hmm. The majority of my early hormone education came out of the beginning of the AIDS epidemic in 1986, when Mm -hmm. I started using growth hormone, testosterone, Anovar, Nangelone, Decoinate, Mm -hmm. uh, in those who had, um, you know, dystrophy and had, uh, encephalitis. Which uh, hmm. articles came out showing that uh, those males with positive their HIV positive mm-hmm. were placed onto growth hormone mm-hmm. had an improvement in their encephalitis. They used to have, um, uh, you know, uh, inflammation of the brain, which led to uh, the same type of symptoms we see in traumatic brain injury. Hmm. So a lot of my early uh, science came out of that group, uh, at that population, Right. and I, I had uh, patients who were HIV positive and uh, had wasting syndrome. Mm-hmm. You put them onto the combination, and they looked better than me, <laughs> <laughs> and right. they were functioning right. great, they lived a longer life until we came out with DDI and DDC, and then the recombinant type of stuff that's now available right and uh but that's where a lot of my education came out of 1986 until um, 92 or 3 interesting interesting so what led you down this maverick
0: path of using these because you know we have a lot of patients now it seems that what i'm gathering from people are coming from most conventional practices of course there's Fear around uh, hormone replacement for women, so estrogen and progesterone should be used for the absolute least amount of time at the lowest dose and gotten off of immediately. Testosterone is a little in between. We're seeing marketing pushes by the pharmaceutical companies. We're seeing some guys being given androgel and some of the other testosterone's. Uh, but by and large, again, it's sort of sometimes yes and sometimes no, and you have to have like a you know a ridiculously low testosterone before uh, b- before most docs will use it. So it seems the general state of the uh, uh, of hormone use in the conventional system is pretty minimal. How, what led you down an alternate path to really embrace these hormones?
1: Well, my beginnings started in probably. You know, as I said, uh, because mm-hmm. of the uh, AIDS epidemic. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then what happened was um, in '97, uh, I started developing depression, was on antidepressants, obese, not mm-hmm. feeling well, not mm-hmm. doing so well. Mm-hmm. I went and had my hormones checked, and I was found to have uh, two and a half hormone deficiencies two mm-hmm. total, one partial, both mm-hmm. on testosterone and thyroid. <laughs> And at that time, the association between um, head trauma and hormonal deficiency wasn't clear. Yeah. So I, within three months of being put onto a protocol, I was feeling great. And then it wasn't until 2004, while I was preparing for a new lecture, on um, the brain and hormones, mm-hmm. that I came across my Epiphany article, mm-hmm. which came out of Turkey in Pugilists, the boxers, mm-hmm. and it, they found them to be uniquely growth hormone deficiency. And that was my aha moment hmm. where I said, Oh, if head trauma in Pugilists leads to growth hormone produ- uh, diminished growth hormone production, what about the other hormones? And sure enough, started seeing articles coming out uh, showing the relationship. But that was only part of the equation, the uh-huh. equation that the A equals B, that head trauma leads to hormonal deficiency. Uh-huh. What I wanted to discover was the B to C, which is hormone deficiency, leads to personality and cognitive impairment. Hmm. And mm-hmm. then we started to see in the geriatric population, the studies that came out of there, elderly guys who didn't have uh, adequate amount of testosterone Uh, had higher occurrence of depression, suicide, anxiety, and then articles in women with with anorexia nervosa Mm -hmm. had uncontrollable depression, and they were also testosterone deficient, and then in ADD, ADHD, the Mm -hmm. children with ADD, ADHD had Mm -hmm. very low levels of testosterone, and I mean, I can go on and on and on. Fascinating. Uh, with case studies, because I gave a, a major lecture to the International Society of Neuro Research right. back in Denver in October 2015. <laughs> and it talked about every one of the labels that we use for psychiatric illness, schizophrenia, mm-hmm. anxiety, panic attack, social anxiety, depression, suicide, aggression, agitation, and they were all associated with different hormones <laughs> and deficiencies. So that is what helped to uh, solidify uh, my movement forward. And I, yes, I'm a maverick in the sense that I use the science that's out there that no one's read Mm -hmm. to establish a new view on what we can do. The first time I gave a lecture on traumatic brain injury, Mm -hmm. the hormone dysfunction syndrome, Mm -hmm. I was in front of uh, an organization that specially dealt with anti-aging medicine. Mm -hmm. And I stood up there, I was lecturing for them for many years, and I stood up and I said, Today everything changes. In the past, I talked about hormone deficiency as being a genetic predisposition or or age related issue. Uh That's not the case for me anymore. It's due to traumas that happen to us from when we're born Mm -hmm. until we're discovered to have hormonal deficiency. So the difference Mm of. Blast trauma, mm-hmm. motorcycle accident, slip mm-hmm. and fall, mm-hmm. being blunt head trauma. Mm-hmm. How about someone who's working on a pneumatic drill or someone who's firing a gun uh, repetitively, 100 rounds, 150 rounds repetitively? Right. Uh, never having a contact with the skull, the calvarium's never been touched, mm-hmm. but they develop symptoms that are equivalent to what we'd expect from someone who's had loss of consciousness after being knocked down and you go and you do the testing and mm-hmm. that's the key here mm-hmm. the laboratory testing has to be done in a in a manner mm-hmm. where you can look at the brain's hormones that regulate the let's say ovaries or testicles or regulate the adrenal glands or the thyroid right and you'll see a mismatch between these central hormones Mm -hmm. and peripheral hormones in the thyroid which leads you to the to the conclusion that wait a second if a person is low in testosterone the Mm -hmm. brain sends a signal called luteinizing hormone or lh Mm -hmm. to the testicles to increase testosterone production Mm -hmm. that's given yes But if there's damage to the brain, the brain can't sense the need to raise luteinizing hormone, LH, to stimulate the testes to make the deficiency, make up for the deficiency in testosterone. Right,
0: right. So, you know, we see that, you know, the the more commonly um, in my practice, we'll see, you know, thyroid hormone levels are low. And and again, many people are, are aware tsh is how the brain talks to the thyroid. And exactly what Mark just said is, if your thyroid hormone is low, your brain is supposed to say, oh, actually we're low. We need more of that hormone. Let's go ahead and make more TSH. So classically, that's why your MD or your doctor is looking and if they see a high TSH, they know something is wrong with your thyroid. Where a lot of them get it wrong is exactly what Mark just said. If everything is working properly, the TSH should be high, signaling a thyroid dysfunction. But if things aren't working properly, and you only check the TSH, it can be normal, and someone can still be hypothyroid. The LH Correct. can be normal, and someone can still be low in testosterone. These these hormones can be can be, you know, not working. So that central sensor, the hypothalamus, right, an area of the right. brain, I- is dysfunctional or not working properly
1: absolutely and what we're finding in blast trauma mm-hmm. is that the hypothalamus becomes inflamed and when the hypothalamus becomes inflamed uh-huh. it cannot direct the pituitary to make the trophic hormones those signaling hormones mm-hmm. that the pituitary is responsible for mm-hmm. that goes out to the end organs or yep. the end glands right the ovaries testicles the adrenals the parathyroids the thyroid mm-hmm and uh, the liver relative to growth hormone. Mm. So it doesn't manufacture that.
0: Interesting, so you're saying, let me just just clarify for anyone out there as well, and also for myself, so it's not enough just to measure, let's just take the example of testosterone. You can measure testosterone, see if it's high or low, but we would also need to measure that LH
1: as well and compare those two against each other? That's correct, but there's a third level that's been missed, Okay. and that is prolactin. Mm. Mm-hmm. Prolactin can go high for two reasons. Okay. One is trauma, mm-hmm. inflammation of the hypothalamus. Mm. Okay. And two is if there's a benign tumor called a, a pituitary adenoma or right. microadenoma in the pituitary uh-huh. that will cause an elevation in prolactin. Okay. When prolactin is elevated, mm-hmm. it shuts off luteinizing hormone. And that's the signal to tell the ovaries to make testosterone and estrogen and the testicles to make testosterone and estrogen. Hmm, okay. So mm-hmm. most of the, you know, most docs look at just total and free testosterone. Total right. testosterone's a bunch of junk. It's the free testosterone <laughs> that we should really be relying upon. Sure, sure. It's the free testosterone that does the work. Right. And then looking at luteinizing hormone, mm-hmm. uh, will tell you, you know, if the, pituitary, and the, the testicles are working correctly. And then the third level up is the prolactin to make sure that the reason why the LH is low and why the testosterone is low isn't because you're suppressing the entire mechanism mm. because of prolactin.
0: Prolactin. Well, it just goes to show, right, that, that, that there is a level of complexity in this, and that's why it's, you know, it's not enough to hear a podcast or read a blog or, or, you know, a couple pages in a book and run out there and immediately, uh, you know, jump in with both feet because there, you know, there is a level of complexity. And when we get to that, we're going to talk about um, misconception or I want to get your point on hormones here, but they certainly are powerful agents. And as we said, with steroids and bodybuilders, they certainly can be abused and they can cause trouble. Now. To your earlier point about women and anorexic women and low testosterone, I know the conventional community, well, at least the last position paper I saw, came out and said there's absolutely n- never any need for testosterone in women. Um, and I know many women are scared of testosterone; they think that it's going to turn them into, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger or make them grow, uh, you know, mustaches or these kind of things. Um, what would you say to women out there who maybe are hearing? testosterone and thinking ah that that sounds scary
1: well I won't tell you the absolute number of women that we have in our program mm-hmm. whose lives have been turned around from being dull boring depressing to being energetic vivacious interactive communicative and establishing new pathways in their work environment mm. because their testosterone was corrected mm-hmm. I mean to to state that a woman does not need testosterone is like stating a person does not need insulin Hmm. Hmm. okay Mm -hmm. all the hormones play roles in our body sure and testosterone in a woman creativity assertiveness um competitiveness sense of well-being a plum if you will Mm -hmm. these are all been documented the benefits of testosterone um you know calm sleeping better Every one of our men, males and females who have Mm -hmm. deficiency of testosterone, Mm true testosterone, and are put onto a replenishment protocol, Mm -hmm. sleep better. Interesting. energetic, they wake up better. Mm
0: -hmm. So let me ask you, one of the biggest concerns I hear Obviously, the reason that, uh, you know, conventional uh, estrogen progesterone kind of fell out of favor, well, twofold, obviously, there was the concern over heart risk and increased heart disease in women. One of the other biggest concerns I hear is just, is taking hormones, you know, as I'm 40, 50, 60, 70, am am I increasing my risk of cancer? Am I gonna give myself breast cancer? Uh, prostate cancer uh, am I you know am I putting myself for clearer skin and feeling a little better and vanity am I putting myself at risk of, of dying of cancer sooner or, or more so
1: understood I don't think that having better personality less psycho-emotional or behavioral, neuro emotional neuro behavioral discourse mm-hmm. is is vanity Right. I think it's functionality. Mm-hmm. What we're really looking for is optimizing functionality. Mm-hmm. What I do has nothing to do with vanity. Mm-hmm. It has to do with functionality. Right. I mean, I I had to move, um, what is it, uh, two hundred, fifty cases that each weighed thirteen pounds each. Mm-hmm. I had to move these cases. Mm-hmm. I'm I just turned sixty four. Mm-hmm. Nothing. It's nothing, and I have a. Uh, a patient, friend, patient who is 73, who's ah. winning, who's just phenomenal. Right. Healthy as can be. It's right. about health. Right. So to ask about the cancer issue. well, yes. Testosterone in 1941 was, there was an error in a test that started the problem of testosterone being looked at as being cancergenic. In mm. one case in the early 40s. Hmm. A doctor in Harvard by the name of Abraham Morgenthaler, Mm -hmm. who's a MD, urologist at Harvard, who Mm -hmm. coined the term low T syndrome, Mm -hmm. wrote a book a couple of years ago called Testosterone for Life. Mm. In it, he tells all the benefits of testosterone and he refutes the myth or the myth of testosterone causing cancer. Right. And in his book, he says... One of his students came up to him during rotation mm-hmm. and said, uh, "Dr. Morgenthaler, if it's true that testosterone causes cancer of the prostate, why can't they prove it?" Mm. Okay. The point uh-huh. is, they cannot. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if we do anything in excess, it alters the biochemistry in our in our bodies. Right. So, if we maintain physiological levels. Of our hormones, that has the same risk of someone who has naturally normal physiological levels developing a cancer too. Oh, okay, right. So,
0: what's that? Uh, no, right. That makes sense. So obviously, yeah, So the every goal- yeah. Sorry,
1: did every not adolescent to- should mm-hmm. develop prostate cancer then, right? Because right. they've always had physiological levels of testosterone. Right, right. But they don't. Right. So something else is causing that. Right. Now, we know estradiol has a very pro-cancer aspect to it, mm-hmm. and we know that the horse urine estrogens that we used for many, many years that had 27 different types of estrogen in it, only two of them are uh, bioidentical to the human body, Right, and we we're giving them such overwhelming amounts of estrogen because we didn't know. Right. and we probably are the ones that precipitated the increase in in the cancer. Mm-hmm. When we look at Europe that uses estriol, we use estradiol, they use estriol, they don't have the number of cancer cases that we have in the United States relative to hormone supplementation right. or re- replenishment. Hmm. So that's estrogen and that's testosterone. Growth hormone on the other hand, right? they're unable to prove that growth hormone causes cancer in looking at a whole person, a healthy person. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the things that is not talked about, growth hormone is produced by the pituitary between 8 o'clock at night and 4 in the morning. Mm. And when it's produced, it goes to the liver and turns on 9 proteins. Mm. One of the most key pro. Uh, cell or pro mitosis for cell replication is something called IGF one right at the same time an anti mitotic or anti pro cell replication product called IGF binding protein three is always also made Hmm. and in the Melbourne studies in Australia they Hmm. found that this product called binding protein three growth hormone binding protein three right has a major anti-cancer effect huh so there's a built-in balance that happens just like estrogen and progesterone right when you have prolonged estrogen and low progesterone you have a higher risk for cancer right but when you have progesterone and estrogen matched you don't. And it's the same thing with IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1, the main active form of growth factor, Mm -hmm. and binding protein 3, the carrier. Hmm. So in understanding or reading this literature, Mm -hmm. it becomes clear that the people outside who are talking about these hormones don't have a full footing on the science that's behind uh, these hormones. Right,
0: right. And like anything, proper balance is key and proper levels so some some of the same side effects that we're seeing you know in these giant bodybuilders who are using absolutely you know massive massive amounts of these hormones you know it's very we're not going to see that in bringing up someone's level to a a completely normal level for that person right so
1: and talking about normal levels mm -hmm. you know most of our hormones or chemistry of our body has a range And we'll say, for instance, for this discussion, Mm -hmm. uh, hormone has a 10 to 90 range. And Mm -hmm. you come in, you go to see your doctor, you've got all these symptoms, and they're all relative to having a deficiency of hormone X. And it comes in at 11. 10 is the lowest, it comes in at 11, you're told you're normal. Right, right. Okay, what we do that's totally different, which I teach, Mm -hmm. is you take the 10, the lowest, Mm -hmm. and the 90, the highest, you add them together, you get 100, you divide by two, and you get what's called the median, which is the midpoint of that range. And everything we do is to bring you to that median. And a lot of the times, when we're going from that 11 up towards the median of 50, Mm -hmm. we might stop at 23 because the patient says, I'm feeling great. Mm Mm-hmm. There's no reason to go up any higher or else the people at 50 who say, I don't feel as well, we keep on going up 75, 80, 85, 90. We stay within the boundaries. Right, right. And it's and that's again, it's personalized. So one
0: of the issues that we, that we have with the conventional system as it's used now is the cookie cutter approach where treating everyone the same. And so absolutely to your point, Someone may need to be at 85 to feel good, where
1: another person might be at 25 and feel fantastic. Absolutely. That's exactly right. And I know you, Mm -hmm. just like I, Mm -hmm. what we do is individualize, customize services for our clients, our patients. Right. Because we know that even brothers, even sisters can have different biochemistry that dictate a different level of every one of the hormones and supplements and nutrients. Right, right. So to get back to T- so TBI
0: again for anybody who doesn't know that term traumatic brain injury so any kind of trauma that happens to the brain so obviously classically you're thinking of anything that that you know messes up the head everything from a whiplash in a car accident so again people think that it has to be my head hit the windshield or my head hit uh, the dashboard but the thing to recognize is the brain sits free within your skull and it's surrounded by a bath of water and it can move a little bit up down and sideways and if your head is suddenly whipped forward or whipped backwards um, your brain smashes into the front or back or both uh, sides of your the inside of your skull and actually it's funny as it sounds your skull is actually the thing that's inflicting the trauma on your brain so people uh, you know often think well if i didn't you know if i wasn't kicked in the head in a in a soccer match or um you know if i didn't smash my face into the into the dashboard then uh you know then my brain is fine and nothing has happened uh we're saying uh, even things like so you were mentioning blast trauma so for anyone Mm -hmm. who doesn't know what that means obviously if a bomb goes off or a big Vibration uh, that just the 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 force coming at someone from that can be enough to rattle your it can rattle your teeth in your head, but it can rattle your brain inside your skull as well and cause trauma uh, that way for people.
1: Absolutely, and that's why it's being missed is because we think the only relationship between. Uh, the trauma and traumatic brain injury is being knocked unconscious, being knocked down to the ground. I had a guy mm-hmm. who was rear-ended at five to seven miles an hour and developed traumatic brain injury because of exactly what you said, mm-hmm. that the coup-counter-coup, the to-and-fro of the brain moving, of the head moving, the outside skull, mm-hmm. caused the brain to sit, sitting in this in this fluid, cerebral spinal fluid, mm-hmm. to slosh forward and hit the ridge of the anterior portion of the skull, mm-hmm. and that created the damage to the pituitary and the surrounding tissues.
0: Hmm. So we're seeing that it cannot, own, there's two sides to these hormonal deficiencies, right Mark? We have the, if the hypothalamus is becomes dysfunctional, whether that's due to kind of direct trauma or just the creation of inflammation, which impairs its function, we mm-hmm. can have hormonal deficiency out in the body itself, low levels of thyroid hormone, testosterone, growth hormone, all all of these different hormones. But from earlier where we were talking about the fact that the brain itself makes hormones, we can see hormonal deficiencies actually directly inside the brain and brain function, is that correct?
1: Well, we can't see it directly right now. Okay. It's it's inferred that it's happening. Right. And the way that we treat the central issue is by uh, anti-inflammatory, natural anti-inflammatory processes. Mm, mm-hmm. And in the interim, until their brain comes back online to be able to, if it can, right. produce the hormones that are deficient or the regulatory mechanism, there are two right. levels. Okay. One level are the hormones that are produced in the brain, <laughs> by the brain, in the brain, mm-hmm. for function of the brain. Uh-huh. Those are taken down by inflammation. Mm-hmm. And the regulatory mechanism between the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the peripheral glands mm-hmm. is a secondary aspect to the inflammation and the downregulation of the hypothalamus and pituitary. Interesting. Okay. But what we're saying as well is that,
0: so inflammation can decrease the, the amount of these hormones in the brain itself, but a lower level of these hormones can allow more inflammation to occur as well correct? correct catch
1: 22
0: right so a chicken it can become a chicken and egg scenario once that brain inflammation is in place then you know things things go down from there the other important thing um that i learned again with my father's stroke is that there's the initial damage that occurs from that trauma but what's not sort of I don't know if well understood is the right term, but not well applied is that that damage can keep, can snowball and keep
1: going for potentially years down the road. Correct. The process of cavitation is what they call it, where you might start with a very small area of damaged cerebral tissue, brain tissue. Mm -hmm. And because that damaged area starts producing inflammatory chemicals it creates a progression of collateral damage. So what happens over time, that little pinprick of an area Mm -hmm. can grow into uh, an apple, a plum, or whatever uh, you want to relate it to, and that's cavitation. And with cavitation, it creates scarring. And in that scarring, the body's ability to reconnect nerves is blocked. Mm. So, Mm -hmm. So what we need to do is we need to establish what we've been calling a neuro-permissive environment. Hmm. In a neuro-permissive environment, it's like having the right soil, the right nutrients, the right veg- uh, vitamins, and planting your strawberries or your lemons or whatever, mm-hmm. and it grows well because you got perfect environment. As opposed to having a pot from the cesspool and trying to grow tomatoes and strawberries in a cesspool, it's not going to happen. Sure, that's a non. Neuropermissive environment when it's got all these inflammatory caustic chemicals in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, we need to reestablish a neuropermissive environment. We do that by cutting out the inflammation, by removing the free radical damage, the oxidative load mm-hmm. the, that happens from inflammation. Inflammation creates an inflammatory environment that continues helps to continue itself. Right. And studies have been done 17 years after the initial injury, still producing these inflammatory chemicals. Wow. Wow. So
0: for someone out there, again, you know, uh, so obviously if anybody has, uh, you know, uh, someone, uh, a, a loved one, a family member in the military, certainly something to, to put on your radar. But even uh, that's not my primary population were more looking more of the car accidents, sports accidents, and other traumas. You know, should if someone gets a trauma, Mark, it, what? How how do they know if they're at risk? Is is this something if someone, uh, you know, if their kid is out on the soccer field or the football field or the baseball field or you know whatever and gets smacked in the head? Is this something, should they be really concerned about it? Is the, the little check they do on the side of the field to see if they have any is, any trauma or any issue, is that, is that good enough? What what, what
1: should people it, do? It's, it's at least an initial screening to dictate whether or not the patient should be seen by the next level up, by a neurologist, pediatric neurologist, right. who go ahead and do a CT or an MRI scan of the brain to make sure there aren't any bleeds or there aren't any contusions that create inflammatory areas of the brain Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's been uh for the past few years that's been a focus of ours uh we're coming out with a if i may Mm -hmm. with a product called tbi defense cool Mm -hmm. which is to address the 562,000 adolescents who have traumatic brain injury Mm -hmm. uh from sports or slip and fall a car accident whatever else right i get calls by mothers about their eight-year-old child their 10-year-old child their 15-year-old child whatever mm-hmm. and they say what can we do at this point well the best thing to do mm-hmm. is to provide them with safe uh effective natural products that have shown to benefit um in inflammation like curcuminoids curcumin mm-hmm. tumor
0: yes uh, yes like
1: N-acil-cysteine. Uh, N-acil-cysteine, the government did research on it in military uh, soldiers mm-hmm. who were exposed to blast trauma out in the field of battle. Mm-hmm. And they put them onto a protocol of n mm-hmm. uh, And those that were on it did not develop within the one week time, the insomnia, the mood changes, the sleep deprivation, like the group who wasn't put on it. And n cysteine works by generating Uh, glutathione which is a chemical that's in our brain Mm -hmm, that helps mm -hmm. to remove inflammation and free radical damage Hmm. well when you have head trauma it overwhelms the glutathione system so you cannot generate um, enough of the scavenging effect to remove the inflammation that creates the damage the prolonged damage and the progression of damage to cause the cavitation Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, things like uh, Um, like vitamin E's Uh, Mm -hmm. we found that uh, vitamin E uh, alpha delta and gamma Mm -hmm. work against inflammation and when you mix it with NAC it shuts down this inflammatory pathway that creates pain and loss of brain tissue Hmm. and then things like CoQ10 PQQ and DHA, which is one of the parts of the omegas Uh, a colleague of mine, a Mm colonel in uh, Maryland, mm-hmm. um, uh, Lewis, oh, geez, Michael Lewis, with mm-hmm. a book which talks about concussion, head trauma, mm-hmm. and how important omega-3s are, fish oils, yes. mm-hmm. on protecting the brain. And Barry Sears, who did the Zone Diet, Barry Sears came and lectured to us a couple of years back mm-hmm. about a project he did with people who were in coma, and he gave them his vitamin E, and they did very well. Interesting. So we can put things, mm-hmm. and that's what this TBI defense is all about. Uh-huh. It's about providing in a liquid form, mm-hmm. in a nanoliposomal form, which gets readily absorbed, mm-hmm. providing a a, co- a a product that has the composition of six of the most uh, written about means of protecting the brain and the rest of the body, but the brain right. uh, against inflammation that leads to personality changes and cognitive impairment. Hmm. Well, there's two
0: pieces I'd like to see if we can get in here before we wrap up for today, Mark. The first is going to be um, I know you have some strong opinions about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and then I'd like to see if we can also mention about uh, what's called treatment-resistant depression or treatment-resistant mm-hmm. anxiety, which is where you know the the medications are given to people and they don't really work. So whichever one you'd like to start with, I'm happy. Well, I think the yeah.
1: PTSD. Which is post-traumatic stress, or mm-hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. I really don't believe in it mm-hmm. as being a pure uh, entity out there. What it assumes is you've been exposed to a life-threatening situation, or you witnessed uh, a horrible situation. Someone getting run over by a car. Mm-hmm. You're you're. Partner in a SEAL team getting shot and killed or blown up or an IED. This is a purely emotional kind of impact on you that leads to emotional destabilization because of cortisol or what have you. Sure. And sure. it creates this situation, this syndrome called post traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. But if you go back and you really take a good history, mm-hmm. you find that the majority of these people have already had brain trauma, head trauma, body trauma, that is the uh, the uh, preceding aspect to the continuum okay. of developing PTSD. Now, okay. what I say is mm-hmm. PTSD is due to TBI that wasn't treated. Hmm. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that's it. And let's... Let's look at it from the perspective of what's going on outside. You had 410,000 vets coming back in 2012 Mm -hmm. from Afghanistan, Iraq, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And they were something like 380,000 of them were diagnosed with having um, PTSD. Mm -hmm. And they were put on a multitude of medications. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Some of them attempted suicide. Some of them committed suicide. Right. No one got very well, much better. Right. If they got better, they were on doses of drugs that kept them so sedated, they were insensitive, incensed. Right. They didn't have emotions. They didn't have feelings. Right. And right. you saw the Joe Rogan show, number 574, yeah. with uh, Matthew Gosney, who talked about his being on 16 medications, mm. 18 months on 16 medications, and then He attempts suicide. Mm -hmm. And when he's in Bellevue, Washington, at Mm -hmm. the VA Mm -hmm. psych Mm -hmm. department in Mm -hmm. lockdown, Mm -hmm. he's listening to one of the Joe Rogan shows we did. And he ends up flying down to California, getting his blood work done, Mm -hmm. getting on protocol. Six weeks later, he's off of 14 of his medications. One year from starting treatment, he leaves Bellevue, Washington, comes to Hollywood, California to become an actor and a screenwriter fantastic and this is consistently what we're seeing i mean i get Hmm. testimonials from these patients i get monthly reports from all the patients we've got 160 plus uh veterans that we've paid for who've gone through it and i'm Mm -hmm. just collecting up their testimonials which are just mind-boggling on how well they've done and we have about 1400 uh, civilians that have gone through our program Hmm. You know people ask me going on these products do we have to stay on the products well what happens is after you stabilize and get to the point that you're feeling great then we slowly remove one product every couple of months right right and okay. try
0: yep I, I and I'm completely on board I mean you're trying to see if the body can heal can balance Correct. itself out properly and it doesn't need these agents and and, you know, I think we share the same philosophy that the goal is to be on the, le- the lowest, least amount right. of stuff that it's possible, but at the end of the day, it's your quality of life that matters. And so, you know, for example, just we have some people who come to us who desperately want off their thyroid medication. They, they are, you know, ideologically opposed to being on medicine. And mm-hmm. I understand, and you try and, you know, we, we tell them, listen, I can't make any promises that you're gonna be off your thyroid medicine. We'll try and balance your system, get you healthy, get everything right. under control. And we might be able to get you off your thyroid medicine or we may be able to lower the dose you take less of it or 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 whatnot um but the goal is quality of life um you know if someone truly needed 16 medications to feel good to be vibrant to be healthy to be out and doing their the things in their life then you go well dang that on one level that's a shame they need all that but on the other if that's what they need great but what you're saying is in many instances Obviously, we know those antidepress no one has, and I know I watched your lecture, you said, you know, in search of the Prozac gland, where's the gland that makes Prozac? Or as, you know, others have said, we don't have a deficiency of Prozac or a deficiency right. of, of these things, but we know we can have deficiencies of these hormones. I thought what was an interesting point you said, at least in some of these these veterans, um, that they're, they're Addictions to substances like alcohol and other drugs also disappeared when their brain chemistry balanced
1: itself out. Correct. Correct. What we found is that, uh, you know, there's the main uh, opioid receptor called the mu receptor. There's also alpha Mm -hmm. and beta, Uh as well as we found the cannabinoids, the uh, cannabis, the marijuana Mm -hmm. receptors we have A and B. Yes. And they're influenced by healthy levels of brain hormones, testosterone, growth hormone. Hmm. So, Matthew's case, Matthew was on 80 milligrams of Oxycontin a day plus 240 milligrams of morphine sulfate. And he did not have withdrawal symptoms getting off of it because of how these hormones interact. And there's articles Uh about the benefit of pregnenolone Uh on helping people who are addicted to Valium, Valium, uh, Ativan, Xanax, and so forth, where it helps to Reverse this the addiction of it. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. So we have to
0: say, you know, again, a a component of addiction. Instead, you know, nothing against twelve step programs. Nothing against all the work. And that I, I personally believe, more or less for different people, that's a huge component and resolving emotional traumas and dealing with some of those issues. But we're saying at least some of these people, uh, the the dysfunctions caused by hormonal imbalances have them seeking out these substances to try and balance their brain chemistry and make them feel
1: halfway decent and human again correct what happens when uh you're dehydrated what do you crave right you crave water what happens when you're hypoglycemic what do you crave Yeah, you crave sugar yeah and what happens is the body knows what it needs Mm-hmm. And you don't know what it needs, right? but you think you do, so you experiment. And looking back on the kids who had ADD or ADHD, mm-hmm. they tried first with, with uh, depressant medications, with uh, yeah. sleeping medication, with uh, barbituric acids and so forth. Mm-hmm. And what did they got, get? They got a paradoxical response, the opposite. Instead of taking a downer and getting down, they got up. Right, right. And they said, "Okay, that's paradoxical. Let's try a stimulant. That's why they use meth, you know, yeah. dextro metha, uh, uh, what is it, uh, dextrodrine yeah. for, you know, treatment. Right. Alcohol, right, right, right. 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 Mm-hmm. You know, so we the body forces us to search for things to make us feel better, and sometimes what we find, heroin, methamphetamine, Oxycontin, they're not the best for us." Or-
0: no, yeah, exactly, and so it's it's just fascinating to think, you know, what per how addiction, the, the fallout of addiction. You know, I've I've said this in previous shows. The estimates are fifty eight thousand opioid overdoses every year. We're facing a huge epidemic of of opioid uh, abuse in this country, mm-hmm. um, and then not to mention alcohol and meth and all of these other you know these substances. And not only does it directly affect the person that is using those substances, but we know the ripple effect, you know, their families, their loved ones, uh, the community at large. And to think that if even let's just say even 10 percent of those people, we were able to get benefit from from a hormone. uh, What did you call it earlier, Mark? Not a hormone replacement, per se, but hormone restoration. Was that the term uh, you were using?
1: replenishment, Replenishment. Replenishment. Right, we're replenishing back to the normal level, the n- the natural level, or the optimal level. Right, right. Not supplementing. We're not supplementing and replacing. We're replenishing. Right, right. Okay. Well, we've
0: got a couple of minutes here before we have to go, but I do want to touch on like treatment-resistant depression and anxiety because those are, you know, both yeah. huge issues that people, many people, are dealing with. So, can we there, take a couple of minutes yeah, and talk about are, hormones? There
1: mm-hmm. are a lot of articles coming out on treatment-resistant depression, which means that putting people on conventional, conventional medication, mm-hmm. uh, they need multitude of medications. They need to be rotated around them or they just don't work. And that's a telltale sign that you have to look a little deeper because there are a group of hormones like growth hormone, DHEAS, uh, thyroid and testosterone that mm-hmm. if these are deficient, you'll have treatment resistant depression. It's in the literature mm-hmm. and in our population, we see it quite frequently mm-hmm. that, you know, you're on, I had a guy come in from Boston mm-hmm. who was on three medications and I asked him, how are you feeling? He says, still depressed. We checked out his testosterone. He had no testosterone. Mm-hmm. And we replenished his testosterone. He got off his medication. His primary doc, I don't take people yeah. off their medication. Yeah. His primary doc refused to take him off. Hmm. So he ended up finding another doc who would help him to get off, you know, slowly taper him off of the medication. Right. He's off the medication. Nice. Nice. Very nice. And, and, feel, and obviously feeling a lot better as well. Oh, yeah. Right. He's an investment banker now. Uh, well, the testosterone probably a little helpful there for well, him, too. we so. use mm-hmm. physiological dosings. It, right. it worked very well. Right. So treatment-resistant depression, yeah. uh, there are 235,000 articles written about thyroid since 2000 and 2012 wow. on treatment on uh, depression and thyroid deficiency, there are 70,400 articles on testosterone and depression. Hmm. There are 99,000 articles on estradiol and depression, 17,000, I just gave a lecture, yeah. 17,000 articles on growth hormone deficiency. And in uh, growth hormone, I give growth hormone only lectures. Right. And in it, the, it's very clear that the benefit of when you have optimal levels or good physiological levels, not mm-hmm. just within that range, not at 11 or 12, right. but in the 50th percentile, right. you have improvement in emotional status and sleep, in sense of well-being and in social uh, interaction, where right. when you have a deficiency, you don't. Hmm.
0: Hmm. And you were mentioning earlier, too, pregnenolone and anxiety
1: are huge oh, yeah. as well. There are, yeah, there are 5,730 articles written between 2000 and 2015 on the relationship between pregnenolone and the uh, development of uh, generalized anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. social anxiety, panic attacks, nighttime anxiety, morning time anxiety. Um, I have a, a gentleman, Tim, mm-hmm. who um, had levels, everyone with levels of pregnenolone less than 10 have clear six or seven out of seven types of anxiety in mm-hmm. Five weeks he's 70 percent better we found a lithium deficiency mm. and at three months he was 90 percent better this guy wow. was fostered at home he's out roaming around with his girlfriend now wow that is that i mean consistency nice consistency nice and if anyone you know
0: if you've never dealt with anxiety before, you you know, there's mild anxiety. We all, we all, all, normal human beings all have some mild level of anxiety. But if you've never seen someone with severe anxiety before, it is, you know, their quality of life is essentially zero to, so to see someone in, and and the best, unfortunately, the barbiturates and the Xanax and these guys, you know, they can, they can bring anxiety levels down. But again, there's just a band aid. On top of, of what's going on for someone, so to think that uh, that that you know by adjusting someone's hormones, you can within three months you can see a ninety percent difference in someone's anxiety is just oh. just
1: remarkable. Just I uh, there was a um, attorney mm-hmm. in Minnesota mm-hmm. who was in a head-on collision, mm-hmm. he who's in a coma I think for a week or two weeks, mm-hmm. and he gets better, goes back to work six months later. He becomes a patient because he's developed. New onset morning anxiety. He hmm. wakes up in the morning and mm-hmm. he has a mild panic attack hmm. every morning. Hmm. He had pregnenolone levels that were less than five. Hmm. We corrected him, he doesn't mm-hmm. talk to me anymore, he just takes <laughs> pregnenolone, that's all he needs. And pregnenolone, yeah. pregnenolone, DHEA, testosterone, estradiol, all those things come from Mexican wild yams. Mm. So all the hormones that we use mm-hmm. are from uh, phytohormones from mm-hmm. plant-based. Mm-hmm. And they still have, you know, the testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, all are prescribed medications yes. uh, meeting a DEA number and so forth. Right. They're real medications, but their origin of extraction is from Mexican wild yams and that's what we use. Interesting, interesting. So I think there are two big takeaways that I'd like to
0: leave people with as we wrap up this show today. The first is that the reality that, that, well, two things. One is to recognize that TBIs or traumatic brain injuries are very real things even if you've never seen them before. The, The second piece to that would be that it doesn't have to be a really blatant trauma to the head. To be a TBI, that it can be, as we said, it can begin with a tiny trauma that is like, you know, putting an ember and that ember just continues to smolder for years and years. And so, you know, it can be dimly remembered. Oh, right. Maybe I did. I was in a a rear end collision or I did, uh, you know, get uh, fall down the stairs or, or, you know, trip and fall or something. And it may not have been a big deal at the time, but it can evolve into a big deal for people uh, the the piece there is to say, Listen, if you have kids playing sports, if you've been in a car accident, if, you, if you've had any of these things, we know that there are these natural products. So we named just a couple of them, curcumin, a huge favorite of mine. Uh, it's an extract out of turmeric. You can get it in many different places. Um, it's great for many types of inflammation. There are many other products, and Mark here has one specifically that he's marketing um, as well, TBI Protect. Uh, the second piece would be to say, look, if you if you have suffered from these traumatic brain injuries or you have depression and you've tried the antidepressants and it's not helping or anxiety or you're having issues with uh, you know memory loss or you have a family or loved one with dementias or post-stroke or any anything basically that affects the brain. It's to say getting a properly done hormonal analysis could give life-changing life-changing uh, uh, results for someone absolutely mark if someone i know your office i know we we mentioned you went on joe rogan's podcast and got absolutely swamped uh by people so um, I, I want to say on mark's behalf here it's this is definitely something I want to look into my knowledge I feel like I have a decent grasp of hormones but clearly mark here is you know magnitudes of order better and I, I clearly have a lot to learn but if you're a doctor out there who's listening to this I know we want it, mark wants to encourage as many other docs to get into this as possible he puts on trainings uh, mark if someone wanted to look you up or connect with you what's the best way that they can do that
1: um, they can go to the website, which mm-hmm. is tbi med m e d legal l e g a l It's one word. Okay. Uh, they can Google me on YouTube, and you can see a lot of the uh, programs that we've done. Get mm-hmm. some background education. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, uh, you know, deeply involved with Veterans Group. I provide free services with my a business partner who's a green beret who is mm-hmm. also a patient after being blown up multiple times mm-hmm. and being placed on 13 medications and full blown alcoholic mm-hmm. subsequently he's off all his medication not drinking and he's CEO and co-founder of Warrior Angel Foundation which if you want to look at that is mm-hmm. waf mm-hmm. tbi.org okay and we work together on that. Um, At the TBI site is, uh, if anyone wants information, there's some hundred articles on there. There's information for lay people and physicians. Uh, The next physician training, which is an introductory training, which is uh, going to be in Orlando, Florida Mm -hmm. on April 27th. Um, It's part of an organization called AMMG Mm-hmm. which is age management medical group their email their website is um med agemed, a g e m e d dot org mm-hmm. uh... they sponsor a um... one day class that i give and all my proceeds uh... i donate to the warrior angel foundation we've gotten hundred and sixty six pre previously suicide attempting veterans
0: mm-hmm.
1: stop and say when they're on treatment, they say, what was I thinking?
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, Guys have gone back to school, reestablished their relationship with their wives that they were separated from, their children who they distanced themselves from, their friends who they had cut off and so forth. I mean, it's unbelievable reading these stories that they send me on a daily basis of what's changed in their life. Going back to school, one guy, MIT and Harvard, mm-hmm. ending up at uh, one of the major exchanges, uh, just unbelievable stuff and they said I wouldn't have done it if I continued on the path that I was and that was not getting the uh, adequate appropriate evaluation and treatment that we have yeah yeah,
0: so much to learn. So many people that could be helped by this. I was so excited to have you on today, Mark. I know I've got a lot more to learn myself. If uh, this, if you have a loved one, a family member who's a veteran, a TBI, uh, you know, survivor, or or has any, uh, we've sparked anything for you. Please know that there are options that r- your standard, regular, conventional doctors are not offering um and the worst that happens is you know you get a checkup and and this isn't the right approach but i definitely personally will be looking a lot more into it uh mark we're glad you're out there glad for you to be pushing this forward for people thank Thank you you so much for joining thanks
1: tim for your help here thank you sir Uh All
0: right folks that wraps up another episode of the aspire natural health podcast if you enjoyed it we hope you've subscribed to us over at itunes you can also check us out at our website www.aspirenaturalhealth.com that's aspire is as an a s 7849. You can set up that free 15-minute consult. All right, folks, until we meet again, take care.